0: Good morning, everyone. We'll get started with Sunday School if you all want to head in. We will be uh, covering the order of salvation this morning. If you're not sure what that means, then we will hopefully fix that as we go on and describe what the order is and um, present the Reformed order of salvation and compare it to alternative orders of salvation. And show how the reformed order is uh, more biblical. And then I'll end hopefully with a brief argument about why it's necessary to talk about an order um, because there have been uh, even reformed theologians recently who have said we shouldn't use this language of order and we shouldn't um, think about the benefits of, of salvation as coming in a specific order. So... We'll get there. It's a little bit, uh, we're a little bit in the weeds. Hopefully I'm able to make it clear and uh, not too complex because it is kind of a complex argument. But that's where we're headed. Uh, Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your salvation, for giving us your only son, uh, not only in his life, death, and resurrection, but in our own union with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would uh, illuminate our minds so that we can understand these deep theological truths and how they pertain to our daily lives in our uh, own experience and apprehension of the salvation that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we'll start with this introduction and just define what I'm talking about when I say the order of salvation. And we're talking about the order that salvation is applied to believers. So, you know, we can talk about redemption accomplished, which is what Jesus did when he was on earth, you know, in his life, death, and resurrection, and then we can talk about redemption applied, which is what the Holy Spirit does to us when he gives us new life, uh, gives us saving faith, um, etc., And so we're not including, I'm not including election or predestination. Uh, For me, that would be included in the plan of salvation, not the order. Um, And every blessing of the order of salvation assumes God's decree of election. And so that means that God didn't just uh, elect people to be justified He elected people with the end in mind to be glorified. And so somebody can't have any of the blessings of the order of salvation unless they were elected. And nobody can jump out in the middle of the order because God elected them with the end in mind. Um, And so everything assumes election, but we're not going to cover election. If you wanted to, I guess election would be over here, but it also is just kind of uh, standing behind every part of the order, it's the foundation. So, rather than the plan, we're talking about, um, we're, we're trying to identify the blessings of salvation as they come to Christians and as Christians receive them and experience them. And not just what the distinct blessings are, but how they relate to each other. Uh, I think you have this quote from John Murray on your ha- handout. He says, when we think of the application of redemption, we must not think of it as one simple and indivisible act. It comprises a series of acts and processes. This is from his book, uh, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. And it's the applied half of the book. And that's what I'm uh, mainly basing this study off of. Uh, And anywhere that I'm diverging from him, I'm probably following my professor, David Van Drunen, Uh, who is apparently working on a book about the order of salvation right now. But he follows uh, Murray pretty closely. And the point of this quote uh, is that salvation isn't just one act from God. It's, It's a series of acts. It's multiple acts. And we should be able to identify what those are and how they relate to each other in the overall process of being saved. Because when we talk about salvation we could be just talking about justification or we could be talking about the whole process, including glorification. So um, salvation itself, redemption applied, is talking about the whole thing and we need to identify the specific acts and processes that we're talking about. And it's really easy to mix up and confuse the relationship between these acts and processes that make up salvation. And even though it's easy, it, it has disastrous consequences. So, for example, if you put justification after sanctification, then suddenly our own good works in some way contribute to our righteous standing before God. Or if you put regeneration after faith, then the initial renewal of our hearts and minds becomes a decision that we make, and it's not dependent on God's sovereign will, but on ours. And so it's very important to understand not only what the blessings are, you know, just Identifying them, but also how they relate to each other and in what order Christians receive them, and this is the order that all Christians receive them. This you know you can't change it. It's not like sometimes it's this way and sometimes it's another way. Um, this is how all Christians receive salvation. And so the next thing we have in our outline is this preview of the Reformed order of salvation. It's a preview because in the coming weeks we'll go in depth on each of the uh, of these benefits, um, not only. Um, defining what they are, but uh, clarifying the order. So this is a preview. First is effectual calling, and that's, of course, um, the initial renewal of our hearts and minds so that we're able to respond in faith. It's the Holy Spirit giving us new birth. Um, There is some debate in the Reformed world as to whether uh, effectual calling should be distinguished from regeneration. Regeneration. And there's debate on whether, if you do that, regeneration should become before it or after it. Uh, The Westminster Confession of Faith has one chapter on effectual calling, and it doesn't have a chapter on regeneration. And so that's my best argument for, my best quick argument for why we're not separating those two things. So this would include regeneration. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks, why that's important. But uh, then next is faith, which is our response to the gospel. Um, this is the Holy Spirit's work. This is our work, but our work of faith, you know, not work, but our act of faith, of believing, is um, empowered by the Spirit. We can't do it on our own. The Spirit gives us faith, but it's our believing. And then justification we're justified by faith alone. Uh, that's our righteous standing before God. He declares us just. And then adoption. Uh, There is some debate as to whether these things should be the same or not. Uh, Again, the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, separates them, so I'm gonna separate them as well. I think it's wise to see different benefits that we receive from being justified by God and then being accepted as God's sons and daughters. Uh, Just going back a little bit, there's also debate in the Reformed world as to whether to include faith uh, and repentance here. Uh, before justification. So some people would say faith and repentance. I think John Murray is one of those people. Um, I am going to disagree with that. I think, faith, uh, I think repentance should be included in sanctification. Uh, there is a kind of sorrow for sin that precedes justification, but it's not, uh, it's not what we're talking about when we talk about turning away from sin. You're not able to do that unless you have faith. Uh, and of course, we'll talk about that in the coming weeks as well. And then after adoption is sanctification, the continual renewal by the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds to obey God and his law. And then perseverance, which is of course um, our persevering unto the end, not, not falling away from faith, but pers- persevering in the faith. And then glorification is when, uh, of course, we're glorified when Christ returns, we're raised into glory. And so that's a quick overview of the order of salvation and the benefits. Yes, you mentioned repentance. What do you mean by I think I think I said repentance. Oh, repent. Repentance, yeah, Thank you. yeah, no problem. So when we look at this order, there's a question of what is the order in time. You know, is it just like a matter of you receive this first in time and then this second? and so on. Is it chronological, or is it just logical? Like, this is what happens, you know, this logically comes first. It's like, if this, then that, if this, then that. Um, And this other word that I have there, relational, that's what my professor uh, put forward to us, and I think it's helpful. Um, There is some chronology to it, You know, justification comes before glorification in time. That's just kind of logical, right? Uh, There is some chronology. There's some time aspect to it. But there are some blessings that come seemingly at the same time, right? Um, Faith, justification, adoption, sanctification. You can't really separate those in time. Uh, So, and there there are some acts. uh, There are some blessings that are one-time acts like justification and adoption. Adoption. Those are one-time acts from God. But then there are some that are processes, like sanctification, perseverance. Those are processes that go over a a period of time. And so it's best not to understand this chronologically, even though there's some chronological aspect to it. Um, A lot of people say logical is a better word to describe it. It's a logical order, and that's technically correct, but it it just kind of sounds too um, academic right? Like it's just theoretical, like it's not actually what we experience. Um, Not to say that you can't call it logical, but it's just a little bit too theoretical. And so the word relational is, I think, pretty clear. Um, It's just saying that this order is clarifying the relationship between and among these blessings. And so we're talking about how does effectual calling relate to faith, or how does effectual calling relate to glorification? Um, And broadly speaking, the relationship is that the things that come later, like a glorification, are founded on the things that come earlier? So, uh, for example, justification is founded on faith and effectual calling. Um, but justification, you can't reverse that order. Justification is not founded on sanctification. So the, the order goes, you can have go backwards. The things that come later are founded on the things that come earlier. So that's just broadly speaking what the relationship is in this order. And so next we have this, it's, it's a preview, and it's kind of helpful because it'll help us to understand um, when we're evaluating the views, the, the alternative views. But there's this preview of a debate that's going on. It's been going on for a little while in the Reformed world. Um, Some people say that we don't need the order of salvation because we have a doctrine of union with Christ. And so union with Christ is, you know, there's kind of three different kinds of union that we can talk about. There's union with Christ in eternity, which is in our election. We're elected in Christ. There's union with Christ in his atoning work. So when Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised, it's like we were crucified, buried, and raised with him. We were united with him as he was doing those things. And then there's union with Christ in the Spirit's application of salvation. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the experience of union with Christ that we receive. So I think you have this quote from uh, Burkhoff. This union may be defined as that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people, in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength, of their blessedness and salvation. And so it's not an ontological union. It's not a union of being. Um, You know, like Hinduism would say the end goal is nirvana, when your being is uh, subsumed into the being of God. That's not what we're talking about. It's uh, not a a union of being, it's, union with Christ is a spiritual union. That is, it's through the Holy Spirit. We're united to Christ because we have the Spirit. And you can kind of think of it as a covenantal union, kind of like a marriage. Uh, A man and a woman covenant together in the union of marriage and that's what it's like to be united to Christ. Um, And through our union, Christ took all our debts and he gave us all his riches. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. That's a a result of the union we have with Christ. And so that's what the union is, and recently there's been debate uh, whether we should have an order of salvation or if union with Christ is enough. Uh, Certain reformed theologians that we'll talk about later, if we are able to get to it, uh, see these two concepts in tension and they argue that we should throw out order and only talk about union. Uh, But I'm going to argue that these two concepts are mutually illuminating. We should we should understand both in light of each other. When we understand union of w- with Christ really well, we'll understand the order of salvation really well, and vice versa. Um, and that's how Scripture presents it too. And when we'll get that, we'll get to that later. Uh, but for now, it's helpful to bring up union with Christ because as we're looking at the alternative views, we'll see that at least one uh, view. Uh, gets the relationship between union with Christ and order of salvation wrong. So just keep that in mind. As we turn to the alternative views, and so what are we looking for as we evaluate these views? What should what questions should we ask of these views? Uh, I think I have them written down for you. The first one: How do these views handle the relationship between order of salvation and union? Does it favor one at the expense of the other? How do these views handle the relationship between the blessings of salvation? Uh, do these views shift sovereignty from God to humans in any way? Uh, is there injury to the unity of God's redemptive purposes? And that means, you know, if somebody can be justified but not glorified, that harms the unity of God's salvation. Because God elected so all of us uh, into glorification. If he elected somebody, they're going to be glorified. And so if you say they can be justified but not glorified, then you're harming the unity of God's salvation. Uh, Are works in any way involved in justification? And that's contradictory to Galatians 2.16, which clearly says we are justified by faith apart from works. Um, And kind of under that one, is is there a concept of final justification? Uh, Some of these views that we'll see will, will take justification. They might have it here as well, but they'll also put it over here. And that final justification will be according to works. That's another way of, of putting works in our justification. So those are some questions to think about as we're looking at these views. The first is the Eastern Orthodox Church. There's kind of a diversity there, you know, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. Um, but just broadly speaking, the Eastern Orthodox Church They're pretty confusing. I don't know them super well, but this is what I do understand about them. Uh, They basically say that there is no order of salvation, and it's all union. Their word for union is theosis. Uh, Kind of the Latinized version would be deification, which doesn't mean becoming gods or God. It's not, you know, like nirvana. It's not being uh, brought into the being of God. Rather, it's the process of growing in ever greater union and fellowship with the triune God. So theosis is kind of the eastern way of talking about union with Christ, except they don't just say union with Christ, they say union with the whole Trinity. And this was the destiny for humans from the beginning, before the fall. They didn't have it before the fall, but they were destined to reach uh, theosis before the fall. And then the fall into sin interrupted that process, humans fell into corruption and under the tyranny of devil of the devil um, so that they weren't able to be united to God anymore. And then when Christ was incarnated, the divine and the human nature are united in his one person, which is the foundation for a continued uni- uh, unity between uh, God and man. And so union with God is made possible again because of the incarnation in the Eastern Orthodox view. And so salvation for them is theosis resumed or renewed. Um, So they're not really interested in an order of salvation. They're just talking about union. And this means that they don't technically deny it, but they don't talk about these legal benefits like justification and adoption. You know, this is a legal sentence that we're given. We're forgiven our sins as a judge would uh, acquit a criminal. And so they don't deny these things, but they don't uh, develop them. And one of their own uh, theologians said this. His name is Mayendorf. Uh, he said, the East did not develop Paul's doctrine of justification, which we see in Romans and Galatians. So he acknowledges that they're there in Scripture, but that the East just didn't do anything with them. And so they're all union and no order, and they don't do anything with justification, uh, which is a really vital part of the scriptural Data on salvation. So that's that's why Eastern Orthodoxy is, their order of salvation is um, to be rejected. Next is Roman Catholicism. And the Roman Catholic view, basically everything becomes justification, which means that justification becomes a process. Uh, So they do have a view of justification unlike Eastern Orthodoxy, but they have this, I think I have it written down for you with kind of arrows. Baptism, literal water baptism produces initial justification. So it it removes all of your original sin, all of the sins you've committed up until that point. And then, once you're initially justified, that leads to continual justification, increased righteousness of your own. And so it's like what we would call sanctification. It's performing good works. So you're initially justified, and then you continue to be justified by performing good works. And then, Once you're performing good works, you're increasing your own righteousness, Uh, you're performing meritorious works. In other words, you're earning merit for yourself, earning reward in heaven, uh, earning your right to go to heaven, and then almost everybody ends up going to purgatory, which finishes your preparation for heaven. It, It purges your sins so that you become actually righteous in your own being. And then after that is final justification and glorification. And final justification is really the only one that's actually justification. It's the only one where they're actually declared righteous because they're actually righteous after being purged of all their sins in purgatory. Um, And so this kind of muddles the biblical doctrine of justification, which is clearly a declaration of righteousness. It's not a process of becoming righteousness. It's a, God says you're righteous even if you're not actually righteous. And we'll talk about that once we get to it in the coming weeks, but they make everything justification, and of course works end up contributing to justification because they have a final justification, which is by works. So that's the Roman Catholic view. Very quick overview. There's diversity even in the Roman Catholic views, believe it or not. Next is the Lutheran view, and if you look at it, it looks quite similar to this. Um, You know, I didn't. I I said presumably perseverance and glorification, just because the chapter that I read from a Lutheran systematic theology didn't include those things. But I know that they would. So it's very, very similar. Um, He didn't really say anything about adoption, um, but very similar. But we'll see that the first one uh, on your handout there. It says external and effectual calling. There, that's the first step. So external calling is when you hear the gospel preached. It's just literally the spoken word of the gospel is external calling. And effectual calling is what we mean. It's regeneration. It's the Holy Spirit's work in your heart to give you faith and to enable you to accept the gospel, accept Christ as he is offered in the gospel. And so they say those things come at the same time, every time. They say that any time the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is making it effectual. He's making it possible for somebody to believe but even though it's effectual, it's resistible which is kind of contradictory but that's kind of how Lutheran theology tends to go. Uh, So they say the Holy Spirit is always making the call effectual but the person who hears the gospel is always able to resist the Holy Spirit's effectual calling. Which means that the human Will is given precedence over uh, regeneration, like they would basically put some human acceptance before this, uh, which of course we would we would say is impossible where you know ephesians two says we 're dead in our sins, and a dead person can 't assent to something, um, especially not being raised from the dead um, so that's that 's the big error here there's a an act of human will that precedes regeneration and even faith there's a they almost have like a kind of acceptance of salvation that's different than faith it's like a non-resistance so that's that's the error with the lutheran view and of course because it's resistible at the beginning it's resistible and losable throughout the whole process so in the lutheran view you could be justified and then fall away you could be Uh, you could have true faith and then not be glorified. So that's the Lutheran view. And then the Armenian view, and this is what we'll see a lot just in uh, broadly evangelical uh, theology. We have the external calling is first, which is the gospel preached, and then we have faith, and then we have regeneration or effectual calling. And so we see that there's an elevation of the human will. There is The human will is deciding whether they want to be regenerate or not. And this is a really common way of viewing salvation. It's that whoever hears the gospel is able to make the decision as to whether they want to respond or not and be reborn or not. Um, and of course, it it just doesn't quite make sense. You can't choose to be born. You can't choose to be reborn. Um, And we, of course, again, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2. And since the human will has precedence at the beginning, they have precedence throughout the process. So human, you know, we can fall away, according to the Armenian view. Um, And there is often final justification. This is quite, it's becoming pretty common in Uh, evangelical theology talking about final justification, and that's concerning because we saw it in the Roman Catholic view, right? So they would say, you know, oh yeah, Paul talks about justification where it's a declaration of righteousness, but he also talks about final justification when Jesus returns, Um, and that's just not quite right, Um, and it often ends up making works contribute to justification. So those are our uh, alternative views. Any questions about those before we move on? Good question the, uh, mueller uh, uh c- christian dogmatics i think yeah. mueller yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is i that of course there's diversity, but that's pretty much the common view um infants receive faith there's they call it um baptismal regeneration. So the Reformed view is essentially that uh, effectual calling comes usually with the gospel preached. Um, The Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the gospel to regenerate. They would say also baptism um, which is quite common. Uh, It it has stuff in common with the Roman Catholic view. right? Um, So they would say that there's a seed of faith given to infants. Yes, I believe so. And they can fall away, of course, which is how they kind of reconcile those things. Because it can't be effectual and then you choose, because effectual means that you can't choose. Right. Yeah. And it can't be effectual and be resistible. Those are antonyms. Um, Yes? So then, within the reform view of the falling away of anyone, I believe we've all probably seen that. It's, we would call it temporal faith. Um, it, it, you know, we see it in uh, Matthew 13 with the parable of the sower, um, the different seeds that seem to sprout, but then they are burned away by the sun or choked out by the weeds. Yeah. Again, yeah. Can you talk about two things that are kind of... One of them is the justification from Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just really briefly, we'll talk. I'll try to talk about more of them when we get to justification in maybe two weeks. Um, but just really briefly, it's best to just be really clear with the words that we use when we're talking about theology. So we shouldn't use the same word to talk about different things. So some people, when they're talking about final justification at the end here. They just mean final judgment, which is true. Like, there's a good doctrine that we can have of final judgment, Um, even judgment according to works, even for Christians. uh, That's how Scripture presents it. But it's never being justified by works. We're always uh, judged, and the verdict we get here is the verdict that we were given here. Um, And so... Some people use the word justification, but you really shouldn't um, because often people will talk about final justification in which works contribute to that verdict that we get. Um, So we should avoid that. I'll get to that a little bit again later on today. Uh, And then justification in eternity, if you were to put it back up here with uh, um, with election, there's some people who do that. Again, it's just not Justification is a verdict that we receive in time. It's by faith. It's pretty clear. Galatians 2:16, uh Romans 3:28, I believe, we're justified by faith. And you can't you can't have faith in eternity. Uh you Yeah, so it's just better not to talk about justification. It's true that like you're elected unto justification, but it's not the same thing as being justified. Hope hopefully that. Yeah, one more and then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a little bit of debate there as well, um, but really the the common Reformed view is that assurance goes with faith. Assurance is part of faith, um, and that's more clear if you look at the Heidelberg Catechism. Their definition of faith uh, is that it's a hearty assurance that Jesus not only you know died, but that he died for me. Um, And then the Westminster Confession of Faith, they kind of alter it a little bit, but not really. They say that assurance is not so much of the essence of faith, that if you don't feel assurance, then you don't have faith. So they're saying it's still part of faith, but it can still waver. It's still not perfect assurance that's um, always present when you have true faith. Um, So it would, you know, of course, we have faith throughout our sanctification And uh, perseverance process. So faith continues throughout, um, even though faith is the instrument of justification. Um, So my personal answer to that would be faith uh, assurance goes with faith, Um, even though assurance isn't perfect at all times. It's still of the essence of faith um, to a degree because it's confidence. It's 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 knowing that Jesus died for me. That's what um, trusting in Him. You know that's assurance and faith are are quite. Um, similar, and they really go together. Um, but of course, you know, growing in assurance, I would agree, growing in assurance would go with sanctification, perseverance, that kind of stuff. But. Okay, so we're going to move on to, uh, to this argument for why we should talk in this way. Why we should have an order of salvation and put these things in, the, in, in an order at all. And so this isn't, you know, this isn't a debate that we have with Roman Catholics, Armenians. This is a debate that we have with other Reformed theologians. Um, I, I list later on uh, Gaffin and uh, Beal. Uh, Richard Gaffin and uh, Gregory Beal, Reformed theologians who are saying that we shouldn't have an order of salvation. And there's two main objections that they raise. They say it's not biblical, The Bible doesn't talk in this way. There's no order, clear order, consistent order that's presented in the Bible. And the other thing they say is it's not necessary. If we have a doctrine of union with Christ, then this is just superfluous. It's not necessary. So we're going to answer those. I'm going to go with the first objection first, and then we'll move on to the second one. So first, biblical evidence that there is an order of salvation. There are New Testament texts that describe the relationship between saving blessings, and these relationships can't be reversed. Uh, you're justified by faith, not believing by justification. You can't reverse those things. Uh, so we, first, we can see this in 1 John 3, 9, which says, uh, the one who is born of God does not make a practice of sinning which means that the regenerated, the ones who are born of God, are sanctified. They don't make a practice of sinning. And so the, fir- the, the first one comes first and it causes the second one. If you're born of God, you don't make a practice of sinning. There's a relationship there. Next verse is Romans 3.28, that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so faith, is, faith comes first. Faith is instrumental in being justified were justified by faith. That's really important. So there's an order there. Uh, John 1 12, uh, it says those who received the word uh, were given authority by him to become sons of God. And so those who receive the word, that's like faith, right? Receiving is faith. That's how we receive Christ. And then uh, being given authority to become the children of God is adoption so we're adopted by faith. That's what John 1.12 says. And then uh, Romans 14.23, Hebrews 11.6. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, uh, without faith is it impossible to please God. In uh, Romans 14.23, that says that uh, anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. And so these teach us that we're sanctified by faith. We please God, we do good things, we we put our sins to death by faith. Uh, And the next thing we see is, is this relationship between justification and sanctification. Romans 4, 5 says God justifies the ungodly. You could also say God justifies the unsanctified. He justifies those people who are not doing good things. Um, and then these next two points, sanctification necessarily follows justification. You can't separate them. If you died with Christ and were justified with him, then you will be raised with Christ and be sanctified with him. And justification is the ground of our sanctification. And then, of course, this this, this is often the text that uh, people talk about with the order of salvation, and it's a really good one. Romans 8.30, uh, where Paul says, you know, those who he elected, he called, those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. It doesn't contain all of these blessings, obviously. Um, really just three, calling, justification, glorification. Um, but it does contain clear order, and the, the order is important, according to Paul. Uh, his, it's not arbitrary. The order is purposeful. He, he's using a rhetorical device that uh, they would have used in his time it it it's called Sorites, it means steps, and it basically means that he 's like building um, steps on each other, so uh calling justification, glorification um, and the the later steps depend on the prior steps, showing an order it 's almost like saying one and two, two and three, three, and four that 's what he does, and so there's a clear order justification. Um, comes after calling. Uh, calling affects justification. Justification affects glorification, um, and that's the order in which God saves us, according to Romans eight thirty. So there's an order, even though it doesn't c- include all of these blessings. Um, and so, with those, if you take all of those verses together, you can see a clear order. Uh, it, you, you know, we're, uh, we receive faith from calling, from being regenerated. Uh, we're justified by faith. Uh, we're adopted by faith. Uh, our, our justification is the grounds of our sanctification. We're, we're sanctified by faith. Um, our justification is the ground of our glorification, etc. So we can see this. It's not one passage that explicitly says this is the order, but when we take all of these passages together, we can see that this is um, what we're seeing. We're seeing a definite order in Scripture. And so next, this is, the, this is the next objection that if we have a doctrine of union with Christ, then we don't need this. And so first what I'll say is that the doctrine of union with Christ makes sense of the order of salvation. We can't explain this if we don't have uh, the order. Uh, sorry, we can't explain this if we don't have the union of, with Christ. And so you have these passages on your handout, um, it, which just say effectual calling is in Christ. You can look at those passages, we don't have time to do it right now, but it clearly says we're called in Christ, and those in Christ passages are what we're referring to when we say union with Christ. Um, We are in Christ, and effectual calling is in Christ. Justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, resurrection, and glorification are in Christ. And so that means all of the blessings of the order of salvation are in Christ. Um, And you could also say the opposite. The order of salvation, this, makes sense of our union with Christ. You can't talk about union without the order of salvation. If you're curious, you can um, look at Westminster Larger Catechism, question 69, and I think think it's something like, uh, what are the benefits you have from your union with Christ? And it just gives these. Um, And so when they're talking about union with Christ, they're talking about the benefits that we have in the order of salvation. Um, And you can see, union with Christ is legal. uh, And we can see that because we're justified and adopted. When we're united to Christ, we have this sentence given to us of being uh, just, being righteous. Union with Christ is life-giving because we're regenerated. We're given life in Christ. And we can understand what that means when we talk about regeneration, when we talk about effectual calling. Union is transformative. We are Uh, transformed into the likeness of Christ. We're, We're conformed to his image. And we can understand that by talking about sanctification. Union is eschatological, and that means it's concerning the new creation, the end times. And we can understand how union is eschatological when we talk about glorification. Another way of saying what I'm saying here is just that we need to be talking about the whole Christ. We can't just talk about the person of Christ, which would be just the union with him, and not talk about the benefits that Christ gives, which would be the order of salvation. We need both. We can't have the benefits if we don't have communion with the person of Christ, and we can't have communion with the person unless we also have the benefits. And so that's that's what we're talking about. We need union, we need the person of Christ, and we need benefits. We need the order of salvation. And next, I'll just uh, present really quickly, and then uh, really quickly try to respond to some reformed objections that have been made to what I've just said. So Richard Gaffin uh, has said, basically, we don't need this because we have union, like I've said. Um, He's Explicitly disagreeing with John Murray's quote that I had above, where he said that um, the application of redemption comprises a series of acts and processes. Uh, Gaffin was teaching at Westminster Theological Seminary, which was where John Murray used to teach, and Gaffin is explicitly saying, I disagree with my predecessor about salvation being a series of acts and processes. Uh, This is almost a quotation, but kind of a paraphrase from him. He says, justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification are not separate, distinct acts. Rather, each describes a facet or aspect of one act of Christ's resurrection and our union with Christ in his resurrection. So when we're united to the resurrected Christ, we're given all of those blessings in the moment of our union. We're, they're simultaneous. We get them all at the same time. And so, you know, justification, sanctification, etc. are not multiple acts, but they're all facets of being united to Christ. And so, Gaffin doesn't think of a relationship between these blessings because they just all come at the same time. They're not, there's not an order in which we get them. Um, there's not an order in which one affects the other, etc. They're all at the same time. We have them simultaneously. Um... He also says that talking about the order of salvation in this way makes salvation less eschatological. And he says that because, you know, the eschatology kind of comes at the end. We're glorified in the new creation at the end. And that's, that's eschatological. And so he says doing that makes all of salvation less eschatological. But he wanted to make the whole thing more eschatological. And so to do that, you know, there's this, there's this phrase already, not yet. He argued that all of salvation was already and not yet, which meant that he had to do that with each of these blessings. He said justification is already and not yet. Um, and so, in doing that, he ended up affirming final justification by works. Um, he says that the final judgment, which is according to works, is the future aspect, the not yet, of our present justification, which would be the already. And recently, Gaffin has backed off. Well, oh, we back on? Okay. It's, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get through it and we'll fix it later. Um, he's recently backed off. It's like when I move, it's getting worse. I'll stay still. Uh, He's backed off some of his claims that he made in, um, we're getting a mic, that he made in some of his published books, but he hasn't uh, fully accepted the order of salvation. He's still rejecting this to a degree. Uh, So Gregory Beale, G.K. Beale, follows Gaffin in this um, pretty explicitly. Uh, You can see his recent book, Union with the Resurrected Christ, uh, we, that's like pretty obviously Gaffin's language, right? I, didn't, I haven't read this book, but he came to my seminary and presented his argument from this book. So I know the broad argument. I don't know the specifics um, that he gave in the book. But he used an analogy of a diamond. He said union with Christ is like a diamond, and the blessings, you know, effectual calling, faith, etc., are facets of the diamond, and when we're united to Christ, he kind of mixes metaphors. He says, it's like a stamp. The diamond is pushed into ink and it's pushed onto us and we receive all of the facets, all of the blessings at the same time. And so he's again just saying, we receive all of these simultaneously without an order. Um, they're, that's at the same time when we're united to Christ. Uh, Beale doesn't go quite as far as Gaffin in talking about final justification in the way that Gaffin did. Um, but he does say that these are all simultaneous. And so really quickly, why is it important not to follow Gaffin and Beale, but to follow Murray and this order of salvation? Uh, Just four things really fast. Gaffin's approach tries to make a doctrine of union independently, and then let that tell us what the order can and can't be. And so what I was talking about earlier when I said we need the whole Christ, we need union and we need benefits. We need to understand these two things in light of each other. Uh, He says, you know, we just need to understand union and if we understand that really well then we we just, we let that tell us what the order can and can't be. Um, But traditionally reformed theology says that these things need to be mutually illuminating. The arrow needs to go both ways between union and order. Uh, second, Gaffin's method forces him, like I said, to understand all blessings of salvation as already and not yet, including justification. It's true that salvation is already and not yet, but not every blessing is already and not yet. It, so by differentiating an order between the blessings, we can distinguish which ones are already, which ones are not yet. You know, pretty much all of these are already, this one is in process, this one's not yet. Um, and by refusing to do, but refusing to differentiate in order, um, they aren't able to do that. Um, our justification is not already and not yet. Our justification by faith alone in the present is the verdict that we'll receive in glorification in the final judgment. Uh, third, Scripture is clear that there is a relationship between these saving blessings. They're not simultaneous. Uh, faith doesn't come at the same time as justification. Faith is the instrument of justification. We're justified by faith. Um, and so by denying an order, Gaffin and his associates have lost the clearly causal relationship that Scripture presents. The blessings that come earlier are foundational to the ones that come later, right? And so by denying an order, they actually end up creating a false order. If you don't explicitly say that regener- or that justification comes before sanctification, then sanctification ends up becoming uh, before justification, which is what happens with their final justification. Any theology that has two justifications has concluded that the first one wasn't enough, and that a second one is needed. Um, But by making final justification by works, you've contradicted the clear doctrine of Galatians 2.16. And then last... If you deny the order of salvation, you can't take part in debates with Armenians, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox Lutherans about their false orders of salvation. Um, You just don't have a basis for refuting their, you know, putting uh, faith before regeneration. Um, You can't can't contradict that, you can't correct that. And so that's really quickly um, our lesson for today. In the following weeks, we'll talk about each of these, we'll define the uh, blessing, and then we'll talk about the order um, that it falls into and some biblical evidence for that. I think I left just enough time for no questions, so (laughs) thank you for bearing with me.